Hello, and welcome to Adaptations Awry. I'm Tessa. And I'm Elliot. Each week we take a book that's been made into a movie or a TV show and we tear it to pieces. But probably not, because it's a book we like this week. (laughs) Oh yeah, what book did we have this week? We did The Bad Beginning from Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. So what is your experience with this book series, or show, film series, or TV show? Because we're because we're talking about the show today. We're not talking about the film. We're not because the film follows the first three books. Yes, and sucked. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I read this. I want to say in junior high and high school. Did you read all of them? No, I got to the hospital one. Okay, and that by that point, I think I had kind of grown out of it a little bit. Okay. And then I tried. I started rereading them again in my early twenties. Okay. So, but then I stopped again because I didn't buy something. I can't remember. I think I started when the movie came out. Oh, really? I don't know how many of them were out by that point, but I read all the ones that were out. Well, it was two thousand four, and it it was published on September thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine. So. So yeah, four or five of them. Yeah, maybe. probably. So. I think maybe through the lumber mill the first time. Yeah. And then I stopped and I didn't pick them back up until after the series was over. And then I read all of them. You read all of them. So this is this was my third time reading this book. What was your favorite one? Um, It's a hard question. Yeah. I don't know. Mine's between The Bad Beginning or Austere Academy. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. The one where they're in the town with all the crazy people, murder hobos, is pretty good too. I like that, one, but I think I like it because I like the, the, the show. The show That's so the best good. show episodes. If you haven't watched the show, you need to watch the show and watch it all the way through. Yeah, it is so good. Oh, it it's really good. You started. How many did you watch after you watched these two, the first two episodes? Because each book is two episodes. Yeah, long. I am. They're getting ready to go to the Lucky Smells Lumber Mill. So that is, what, six? You watched six episodes? I did. I watched a lot of them last night. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, so before we kind of start talking about uh, the book and show, give us some information about either or. or okay. Both. So it is considered gothic fiction, absurdist fiction, and mystery. Okay. It is 162 pages. It would take you about an hour and 37 minutes to read. Or, excuse me, 24,650 words. Yep. 13 chapters. Yep. Getting chapters are pretty short. They are. And I think he tried to stick with 13 chapters just because it was unlucky. Yeah. It's unlucky or whatever. Um, Let's see. I don't have a ton about the book. I have a ton about the yeah, I do too. TV show. Do you? I only have a couple of things, but they're all about the show. Yeah. Well, let's just get started talking about the book and interject when I get to something that the book or the show does different, which okay. the opening is almost completely different. Yes. You don't really realize that Lemony Snicket is talking to us in the beginning yeah. for a while. You don't really, it's kind of hard to realize like that he is narrating it and he is a character himself. Mm-hmm. The show does a very good job of showing that. Yes. But the book does not for a very long time. Yeah. I don't think, but I don't think the book and the show differed that much. I think the f- I think the first book and show differ more than anything else. Maybe. 
only because they really add the VFD stuff very early on. They do. And that's not referenced hardly ever. Until In what? any capacity. Yeah. So, they, for a long time. They do a the good books. job adding the VFD. Well, I think, looking back, he realized that he shouldn't Because uh, he also did the teleplay. Daniel Handler, the guy who wrote the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the teleplay of the show. Mm-hmm. And so I think he really was like, oh, this needs to be added in earlier, you know, a lot of the stuff. Because again, the, um, what's that called? The mag, not the mag, the telescope or the, it's telescope. no, it's, um, spyglass. Spyglass. There you go. The spyglasses aren't introduced until the third or fourth book. Yeah. Because Klaus is given part of one. Right. At some point where in the show, he, Finds it in the house. Yeah. So. It was like one of the only things to survive. It was the only thing yeah. they took, right? All right. So Violet is 14. Klaus is 12. Sunny is an infant. So Violet, Klaus, and Sunny Baudelaire are visiting Briny Beach on a cloudy day. I had a trivia about their okay. ages. The oldest is Violet in the show, in the show, in the books. But in real life, the actor who plays Klaus is two years older than... The actor that plays oh, I didn't Violet. Know that. Yep. The I noticed rewatching the episode, they really do age pretty well throughout mm-hmm. the series because they definitely look much older in the last ones. Yeah. Than they do in the first season, which I didn't notice until like rewatching. We're like, oh, they do kind of look younger. Because all of the books and the in the show is kind of vague about how much time passes. Right. It's all it's all very vague. Right. On purpose. Yeah. So they're visiting Briny Beach. Uh, because of because of the weather, they have the beach to themselves. Violet is thinking of an invention that would retrieve rocks when you throw them into the ocean. Klaus is studying small creatures in the water. And Sunny is thinking about biting things. And so the, the show starts with Violet has an invention that retrieves rocks from the ocean. Klaus is helping her. And Sunny is chewing the rocks to get make them smooth. Abruptly, Mr. Poe, a banker and friend of Mr. and Mrs. Baudelaire, show up uh, to the beach to inform them of the passing in a fire of their parents. And that's almost word for word from the book. The show pulls a lot of word for word Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. After spending several days in the Poe household and eating boiled chicken, boiled potatoes, and blanched, which means boiled, green beans... The Baudelaire's learn that they are to live with their closest distant relative across town, Count Olaf, who they have no knowledge of. They've never met him before. I mean, that's all pretty much word forward from the book. Right. In the book, they only say the night, or in the show, they only say the night, but in the True. book, it's several days because she, Mrs. Pogo, shopping for the kids for clothes, which yeah. does in the book play a factor later on. Right. But in the show, she uses different things. Anyway. The next day, they head to Count Olaf's. Upon arriving, they meet Justice Strauss, a high court judge who seems pleasant and with a pretty house. Thinking that she is married to Olaf, they quickly, quickly find out that uh, she's only their, his next-door neighbor. Olaf's house is dilapidated, which is a word meaning in a state of disrepair or ruin. And they do that a lot in the, the series, both the book and the show. And the, I don't know about the movie, I can't remember. But they define words to the reader and sometimes the other characters will define the words to the Baudelaire's, and the Baudelaire's know what the word Almost means. Almost always. Almost always. The Baudelaire's are always smarter than the adults. Yes. In this world, the children are much smarter, because even yes. much later on, the kids are still smart. 
Yes. Because even the VFD members are stupid adults. They are very much. All of them are stupid. Every adult in this book is stupid. So we get our first image of Count Olaf when they knock on the door. Quote, he was a very tall, very thin, dressed in a gray suit that had many dark stains on it. His face was unshaven, and rather than two eyebrows like most human beings have, he had just the one long. His eyes were very, very shiny, which made him look both hungry and angry. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris fits that almost to it. The casting of this show is spot on. Yes. You could not have done a better casting job. Without the whole series, you couldn't have done a better casting. It's perfect. They find their living arrangements to be awful. One lumpy bed to be shared between the three. Quote, Instead of a closet, there was a large cardboard box that had once held a refrigerator and would now hold the three children's clothes, all piled in a heap. Instead of toys or books or other things to amuse the youngsters, Count Olaf had provided a pile of rocks. Yep. And in the show, they show the pile of rocks. It's fantastic. Yeah. I had I didn't realize that that was part of the book upon rereading because I've only watched I've watched the show and haven't read since then. Each day they wake up with a list of chores to have done before Olaf returns in the evening. One day they are tasked with making and serving dinner for 10 people. At their wits end, as no one knows how to cook, Justice Strauss shows up to check on the children. She then leads them to her house with a personal library and the children go through the cookbooks finding a recipe for putinesca. In the show, Justice Strauss comes over and she's made them a lamb and she jokes about how she's getting overly involved in someone else's children's lives. And... Count Olaf takes the lamb, but then he comes back and he says, uh, they don't, the kids want to see her that the lamb was too salty. And so it hurts Justice Strauss's feelings. Right. And so the kids go over to the house to ask for a cookbook. And Justice Strauss is like, she lets them in. She's very kind, but she's also like kind of passive aggressively like, Oh, yeah. I you wouldn't I know this library isn't as big as the library you had in your man. Yeah. Like I, I guess you just shouldn't make lamb. Like, Justice Strauss takes the children on their errands to buy the necessary items for Putinesca sauce, feeling a connection to just to Justice Strauss. That afternoon, they prepare the sauce, but when Count Olaf returns home, he asks if the roast beef is ready. We meet Olaf's troop of terrible actors, one with a hook for hands, one who's neither a man or a woman, ones who wear white faces. Dinner is served, and as the troop is leaving for the performance, Olaf tells them to clean up and go to their beds. Klaus, letting him know that they only have one bed, is then slapped for talking back. The Baudelaire's have the idea to visit Mr. Poe to tell him just how horrible Count Olaf is. However, when they finally reach the bank district, he tells them, quote, in loco parentis, which means acting in the role of a parent, he can raise them in any way he sees fit. The difference in the show... I guess we're not quite there yet, but um, Mr. Poe has a secretary yeah, that plays a much bigger role. And she's a character that was created for the show mm-hmm. and was originally supposed to be a one-off character for just that scene. But they liked her so much that they had her in the first season and the second season. And then she kind of gets written out on a one-liner in the third season. It's really weird. Like She doesn't die. She moves and becomes a duchess. Oh. Which is a reference to other stuff in the- I. I wanted to touch on the theater troupe because yeah. the casting in the show is fantastic. Again, totally fantastic. The, like it, they are spot on hilarious. Oh, they're all, they're perfect. Yeah. And they're each very unique and individual too. Yeah. Like they're not like, they're not just like a, a group and they even play a bigger role in the sense that like they develop as characters throughout the series. Mm-hmm. 
I think they develop better on the show than they did in the books. I think so too. But like they they develop as characters. Like they seem bad, but they're not all that bad. Some right. of them. Some of them are. Not all of them though. They tend to question Olaf a little bit more. Like yeah. The next day, Olaf greets the children in the morning, saying that they got off to the wrong foot. And they would like them to be in the next play, The Marvelous Marriage, written by Al Funkut. Now, did you catch this? It's an anagram for Count Olaf. Yes. Did you catch it without reading about it? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, it happens a lot in this series. Yeah. Yeah. Klaus and Sonny will play midget audience members, while Olaf will play the groom and Violet the bride. Now, in the show, Klaus plays the ring bearer. Right. And I don't know if he ever gives Sonny a... No, because Sonny's in the cage. Right, but I don't think he's ever they ever he ever gives Sonny a, a role in the show even Right. Right. Unsure what Olaf is getting at, they head to Justice Strauss's library to read up upon inheritance law. Uh that's chapter six. Chapter seven, I literally wrote one sentence. Klaus takes a book from Strauss's library. Yeah. That's literally all that happens in that it's chapter. Pretty it's pretty really much kind yeah. of weird. Yeah. Reading by moonlight. All night, Klaus finally has learned what Count Olaf's plan is. That morning, he heads down to the kitchen to confront Olaf. Olaf admits his plan. Klaus rushes upstairs to wake his sisters to get to the bank to tell Mr. Poe. However, Sonny is not in bed, and they cannot find her. Olaf takes the two oldest Baudelaire's outside, looking up at the tower, a place that they are forbidden to go to. We haven't mentioned that yet. Right. They see Sonny in a birdcage hanging outside the tower. Quote, Would it be so terrible to be my bride... To live in my house for the rest of your life. You're a lovely girl. After the marriage, I wouldn't dispose of you like your brother and sister. Real creepy. So first off, he admits he's going to kill Sonny if she doesn't marry him. Right. And he's also admitting that he's going to kill Klaus and Sonny after the marriage. Right. Which is really kind of like amusing. Also, we haven't touched on this too, but like everybody finds Violet to be pretty. Yes. Which they've, is really weird. They've commented on how pretty she is several times by this Multiple point. times, by multiple people. Yeah. I think even Mr. Post has like a one-off, like, you're prettier than I, like. Yeah. It's a really, it's really kind of weird. It is. In a sense. Yeah. Would it be so awful? Like, yes. She's 14. Yeah, it's really weird. 14-year-olds are not pretty. No, like, they're not. 16-year-olds aren't either. I work with 16-year-olds. Yeah, like, they're gross little hobgoblin things rowing and i mean they pr they're yeah, pretty and uh, yeah like sure in a sense that yeah sure all right so we're down to our last four chapters here violet goes to work creating a grappling hook from the drapes and clothes brought uh bought by mrs poe she goes out to attempt her rescue making a few attempts and hurting herself in the process she is ably finally able to secure a hook to something up top she begins to climb and as she reaches the top she finds the hook has attached itself to another hook the hook of the man with two hands for hooks. In the show, yeah. she just hooks up to something. Yeah. And she uses the pasta maker that she used earlier to like wheel herself up. To like elect yeah, like elect with like electricity. Yeah. But in the book, she's climbing and talks about how terrible that climb is and how windy and how cold it is. Right. Which was a little different. But the the show did a better job of showing her inventions. Yeah, she's much more inventive in in this show than she is the book. I mean, not, I don't know. The show is much more steampunk than the books are. Yes. I think. Just the way everything looks, the yeah. aesthetic of everything is much more steampunk kind. Yeah, I can see that. 
chapter 11 is really weird too because there's like a recap paragraph for chapters 1 through 10. And it's really weird. It was really off-putting to me because it was a very long paragraph, which is why I made note of that. I thought chapter yeah. 11 was really weird. Olaf sticks Klaus up in the tower along with both of his sisters until that night's performance of the marvelous marriage. The Baudelaire, Blo- Baudelaire siblings are to stay in the tower. Not able to come up with a plan before that evening, the two older are led down to the stage. Yep. The children are sent to the dressing room. So the children are sent to the dressing room, running into Justice Strauss there. In a uh, last attempt of the Baudelaire's, they try to get her to change the lines of dialogue, but they're not successful in doing so. Uh, the third act of the play, the wedding scene begins. Justice Strauss delivers her lines, as does Count Olaf and Violet, both saying, I do. Violet also signing the document, making the wedding uh, legally binding. And I am putting quotations in the air as I say that, of course. Count Olaf stops the play immediately, saying there's no more reason for this charade. I almost said charade, but I didn't. Charade. <laughs> Is that how he said it in the show? I don't know, but it, I assume that's how he said it. Olaf was Violet's legal guardian and now her legal husband. Justice Strauss confirms that that is true and now legally binding. Everyone is in shock, even the Poe's who are in attendance. The other thing that the show touches on better than the book is Mrs. Poe being just a complete douchebag. Yeah, she's an, she's awful. Oh, well, and like they, the book in the show, there the secretary is in the audience as well, right? And another VFD member, yes, too, who the, I believe is her husband, technically. I think it's references that, like, are thought somehow. As he's reveling in his victory, Violet finally speaks up. Instead of using her right hand to sign the document, she used her left, which, again, the book and the show do- both do a very good job of constantly refer- referencing that she's right-handed. Oh, yeah. A bunch of All times. The time. On purpose, yeah. obviously. Which Justice Strauss confirms makes the contract not legally binding. <laughs> Mr. Poe, in a fit of madness, attempts to make a citizen's arrest. The lights go out, but and Olaf, along with his troop of actors, disappear into the night. Not before grabbing Violet and telling her that she'll that they'll get her, he'll get her fortune. Oh, he's going to kill her. Yeah, and get their fortune. Yeah. yeah. Justice Strauss wants to take the children, and for a moment things seem to be happy. Mister Poe informs them that their parents will their parents will states that they should be put with a relative, and that's what must happen. The Baudelaire's pile into a car, into Mr. Poe's car, and head off to an unsure future. In the show, Mr. Poe was, they show a, a before the Baudelaire fire, and Count Olaf goes to the bank and, t- and convinces Mr. Poe that by closest living relative, it, they mean closest as in, Within the city limits, like right, yeah, not closest as in blood. There's closest right. within the city limits, right? And it also shows that they were supposed to go originally to Monty, which is yes. where they do end up heading to. Yeah. So, give us some facts about the show or book now that we've finished okay. our synopsis. Okay. So I have a lot about the show, not so many about the books. In the Bad Beginning Part 2, Count Olaf's troops are practicing their own rendition of Here Comes the Bride, substituting Bride with Count Olaf. At first, their rendition calls Count Olaf a show-off, the excuse being nothing rhymes with Olaf. The suggestion that's that's then made is rice pilaf. 
This is a nod to a later book, The Austere Academy, in which Isadora Quagmire, a girl known for writing rhyming couplets, states that the only thing she can think of to, that rhymes with Olaf. So she thought Count Olaf, the only thing she rice. could rhyme was rice pilaf. Which uh, the secretary also uses. Yes. Yeah. So the eye tattoo on Count Olaf. Mm-hmm. So in the first couple episodes of the show... Count Olaf's tattoo is a temporary tattoo that they had to put on Neil Patrick Harris, but they put it on so much that it got really annoying. And I guess in between the first and second seasons, Neil Patrick Harris went and got that tattoo. Oh, really? Yeah. So the eye tattoo is. Cool. Yeah. So the eye tattoo is real. How many times would they have to use that? How many scenes? I mean, there's like one or two scenes per episode, per movie episode yeah. or book episode. That that became mm. uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's a real. He got a real tattoo. I wonder how many people have actually done that. I bet that's a thing. Oh yeah, I think so. I think a lot. Neil Patrick Harris is known for his singing talent and theatrical performance. Sings the opening theme. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, and he also like they do a musical number every couple of episodes at least. Yeah, they change Two. it for every book. Is there a song in every... Well, yeah, the opening has changed. But even, like, in the in the episode, like, they did an Olaf song. Oh, yeah. They yeah, do yeah. a lot of Olaf songs in the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, he changes the words. And, he, and then in the second part of the episode, he will sing as whoever he is pretending to be. So right. in the first, he pretends to be sing as Stefano. And then he sings as Captain Sham. And then... Yeah. And all that stuff, so... The third season, I remember a lot of people saying the the lyrics got really bad. Oh, really? And I don't remember, but I I'm sure it would be hard every time to like. Oh yeah, get that catchy, but the names under underlined in the newspaper during the opening theme sequence are all anagrams of Count Olaf. Mm-hmm. Alf, yeah. Did you Alfred, pick that up? Yeah, yeah, because there are the anagrams that he uses later too. Yeah. Because, like, um, the hairdresser, whatever, Yanni hairdresser or whatever. Yeah. That name is used later, too. Is it? By other people. Yeah, it's not oh, just okay. off. Many lines of dialogue are taken word for word from the books. Oh, a lot of it is. Yeah. Which is why it's so good. It's, yeah. You could read the book quicker than you could watch the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they definitely add more to it. Which is crazy that the movie was three books in right? one movie. Right. They kind of butchered it, though. But they also wrapped around the first book to encompass all of them. Like, right. Like, the wedding happens at the end of the At the very of end the of the movie. movie. Yeah. So. Uh, the ones I found, since the Baudelaire's are having spaghetti a la puntanesca for dinner, Klaus wonders what puntanesca means. What does it mean? The answer is not stated in the show because it means, quote, like a prostitute. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. That's weird. Uh, this isn't something I didn't I didn't notice until I started reading and watching because I saw this before. The Baudelaire's are Jewish. Are they? Yes. There are hints in the books, and Daniel Handler, who is the writer of Lemony Snicket, confirmed that they are Jewish. Thus, in the show, there is a Jewish mu- there's Jewish music at the wedding in which Olaf dances uh, a hurrah. Is that what it's called? Hora. Her- I I don't know. H O R A. Yeah. And there are several Jewish, or excuse me, Hebrew and Yiddish words in various episodes. They do say Mazel Tov. Yeah. I think. And they 
did they talk about a mitzvah? I feel like they just... I think they did, but... And then my last one I had, while Klaus and Olaf are around the table, uh, Olaf mentions not being able to find the sugar bowl, which is a throwback to the books, um, which like the sugar bowl becomes a huge thing. Yeah. He talks about drinking his coffee in the morning when Klaus comes down to confront him. Uh-huh. And, he, and he's like, oh, it's fine. It's missing missing the sugar bowl, which was kind of yeah. which is kind of funny because it's definitely a thing. It's a big thing later. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes like yeah. the, the thing. At the end of each episode, we choose one, get rid of one. This, for me, is very hard. Yeah. This is... There are a couple of adaptations. Like, the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. trilogy is... Pr- Man, I don't know if you could do much better yeah. in adapting them. Um, Harry Potter, I don't. I think it would be hard to do a better job at adapt- adapting Harry Potter to the film. Yeah. I think it would be om- next to impossible to do a better job. Yeah. I feel that Lemony Snicket is like that third tier mm-hmm. of like, this is a perfect adaptation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Overall, not even just the first episode, but just like everything. No, like, all it, like a lot of it is word for word from the books. And they the stuff that they are slow to add in the books are added much faster in the show. With more information. Yeah, and the one thing we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about the mom and dad scenes at the end of each episode. Yeah. At the end of each episode, there's a mom and dad scene where the mom and dad are trying to get back to their three children. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a whole other added level of things because, again, spoilers for the rest of the series and even like outside of it, but there was a long-held thought that Beatrice Baudelaire, the mom, survives the fire mm-hmm. and then dies someplace else. Really? There's a couple of different theories. Like, she dies in the hospital, the horrible hospital. Oh. Because it gets set on fire. Because in the horrible hospital, there's an alias, there's an anagram of Beatrice Boudelaire in the hospital. So, that's a, lo- a big thought that a lot of people went with. Oh. And then they also think she might have died at the um, ballroom, which in the show, the ballroom thing, the dance party takes place in the past. Uh-huh. But in the books, it takes place in the current. Oh, Okay. So that's the thing, because there is a line of thought that someone stuck lived underneath the water fountain as it was being set off. Oh. So that's a very, it's one of those things that's not talked to. It's like one of those things like you have to read the series and go looking for other people talking about right. it to know that. Okay. So when the show first came out, people were like, oh, they're going that route. Right. Of having both of them, where in the books it definitely says one. And again, it's mm-hmm. very hidden because most of the VFD stuff is very hidden. Even in the later books, it's still you know, like mm-hmm. you don't get everything. Yeah, and the show does a much better job of explaining the schism mm-hmm. and the sugar bowl and like what happened. But which one are you keeping? Which one are you getting rid of? I'm keeping the show. I'm getting rid of the book. Yeah, the shows just everything about it is. There's never going to be a better adaptation than this. Yeah. I'm keeping the show. This is so good. The books are very good, though, too. Mm-hmm. Which they is are. Not to, this, was the, I, this was the first one that I had already read and already watched the movie. I had already done both. Mm-hmm. I, the other two that we did before I hadn't read or watched at all. Right. So this is the first one that I'm like double, triple dipping on. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I didn't feel slow or anything. I think the book reads very well. It does. I think the show watches very well. Like, it's very easy. You don't feel bored. No. 
But I felt that way with the book where each chapter was like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there was only one chapter. I think it was chapter seven. It was the only chapter I it was like, Klaus takes a book from Strauss's library. It's the only thing that happened. Yeah. So like for 13 chapters and one boring thing, like one boring chapter, the plot is advanced very quickly. Mm-hmm. Any closing thoughts? I think they escaped the island and came back to... All right. Mainland. Spoiler alert for the Really? The if you haven't read it, it's been 20 years. 21 years. Well, in the movie, they do escape. They do. Because Beatrice the second, the second is yeah. talking to Lemony Snicket. Right. So this has been Adaptations Awry. Thank you for listening. What are we reading next episode, Tessa? Scary stories to tell in the dark. Have you read any of it yet? I have. I read some today. I read the first chapter. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. Not it, scary at all. Not scary at all. Um, And not what I remembered at all. Kind of gross. Kind of gross, for sure. Yeah. And I thought, oh, maybe we would just end up picking, because it's a bunch of short stories. Right. I thought, oh, maybe we would pick one from each chapter we liked. No, we'll be talking about all of them, because it takes about a second to describe each one. So far, I'm only in the first chapter of it, so. Jump scares. Yeah, jump scares. I finished jump scares. I haven't finished jump scares. I finished the first story of jump scares and started the second. So you read for about two minutes. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.